and I remember I was in Croydon and it was like <laughs> oh my god I was like look I had to open my jacket I was like look you're fighting me over some old beef I'm fighting for my life and my child I was terrified like I was doing the big talk but I was actually like so scared because finally I had something more than me to fight for and there was like oh. and luckily there was some conscience happening they said oh you're lucky you're lucky you're lucky I thought oh my god <laughs> oh my goodness and yeah that just shifted everything and that's when I started my social enterprise perfect thank you for for coming to the podcast Shanima how are you today I'm very well thank you thank you for having me yeah anytime yeah. and thank you for coming I know we've spoken some time back mm -hmm. like a little while ago and I, don't, I can't remember what happened. I think maybe we lost communication or something, yeah. but happy to have you here now today. So thank you for making the trek across London to, <laughs> <laughs> to, our, to our new studio here. Uh, in preparation for this, so I don't know if you, you might have clocked me last night, like when we lost stuff on yeah, Instagram. Yeah, had a good yeah. rummage. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I was having, a, having a, like, a good look around on your stuff, just to trying to get a feel for you and um, everything you're doing. Mm -hmm. And something that become quite clear to me just the reading through your captions is two things. One, that you're a storyteller, and two, that you're a deep thinker. Mm. Um, have you always been like that? Is that something, have you always been a deep thinker from, like, from you as a child, or did you yeah. go through something you feel that led you down that path and made you maybe look at things a bit more differently? Both. Yeah, both. Um, I think <laughs> a lot of it comes from being a really nosy child. Like, I was very inquisitive. It used to be something I got in trouble for a lot, but I always was in everything and everybody's business. And um, whilst once it might have been something that I'd feel bad for when I was really little, like reading all my mum's letters, I used to read the newspaper, I used to read the Financial Times, I used to read any book I could get my hand on. Like I just wanted to know more things. So some would say fast and nosy, some would say inquisitive, but later on it really benefited me. In life, when you're going through like adolescence and you want to know, who you are and what you're here for and what's going on it it then became really beneficial because I knew how to research and how to pick sense from nonsense and cross-reference things because I've been doing it since forever so yeah I've, I've always been a, a thinker a bit of a mad scientist like I always want to dissect everything up and, and know what's going on in any subject as well it doesn't even matter what it is there's not anything that I'm not interested in so yeah real cool <laughs> let's take it back a bit and then when I look into your background it seems like there's a few major that it seems like you've had some major ups and downs basically in your life mm -hmm. a couple when you was in your teenage years and then some later on but I want to focus in on your upbringing first of all to start things off mm -hmm. the two major things that stood out to me uh, and things that y'all seems like you're very very open about on your social media and when you speak about these things is one being an ex-gang member mm -hmm. and then two becoming a young mother and I want to take it back to what your childhood was like what that environment was like and just to set a scene you know what was the environment like what was and more importantly actually what was your mindset as well growing up as a teenager what did you want did you have dreams and aspirations Good questions. Um, I grew up in two very different areas at the same time. So I grew up between Dodderton Estate, which is Battersea, southwest, and Sydenham in southeast, which 
back in the days in the in the early 90s was extremely racist between Sydenham and Penge. There wasn't very many black people there. So it's in the Lewisham borough, but it's not the Lewisham bit of Lewisham. Mm. <laughs> so uh, you had to go to like Deptford for black folk or Lewisham, but we was on the outskirts close towards Bromley. Um, and so both areas had a lot of element of survival, um, aspirational still, like you wanted to become, especially in Battersea, um, my mum was in the music industry. She was a music promoter. So I was very much exposed to, um, the ambitions of sound system culture, of DJs, of promoters and putting on dances, very entrepreneurial from that side. Um, and, and then again, that came with its, you know, culture clash as well. And then on the other side, it was really racist and a lot of poverty and we literally lived in two places at once so it was back and forth back and forth um and so i saw a lot of what i wanted to have and what i wanted to be but didn't have and then a lot of what i needed to get out of and didn't want to be a part of and so when i say gang culture a lot of that was in sydenham in southeast so sydenham is kind of also in the middle of like five different boroughs. So it's like Southwark, Lambeth, Croydon, Lewisham and Bromley surrounding this tiny little area. And everybody on like each side of those don't like each other. Right. <laughs> so we're just kind of caught in the middle. So you wouldn't think that there was gang culture because even then I didn't know that's what it was. I just knew. I have to rep my ends because I have no choice. There's nowhere to run to. <laughs> There's nowhere to run right to. Right in the middle, isn't it? Yeah, we're right in the middle. And um, I have an older brother, so he kind of set the pace for the life that I was inevitable, inevitably going to have to live because I was almost used as a pawn, like that's his sister. Then, do you know what I mean? And if it, there was no way that I was going to be subjected, and it's not like any of the girls brought it on themselves or anything like that but I wasn't going to be subjected to some of the things that females around me were going through so it was easier for me to be like one of them and them and and fight so that's the kind of path that I took I was around boys most of the time if it wasn't with my brother and his friends I was making friends with other groups of boys and just sort of like asserting my own power Going back to what you were saying about being very inquisitive and being a deep thinker, that benefited me as well because I had sense. So whilst some people just had all heart and no sense, I was very strategic. I was very specific. I have younger siblings as well who I was more or less responsible for. Um, so my intentions were very different as well to some of the people that I was outside with they get to go home to some of them two parents some of them to a house you know some of them to gas and electric and a full cupboard that wasn't really my reality so when i was outside i was outside very intentionally and um yeah that's that's i couldn't i didn't know any difference so that's do you know what i mean like it was mm. kind of like that's all i knew so that's what i had to make the most of and um yeah, I think just, just thank goodness that I became a teen mum. You know, uh, isn't because when it comes to the gang culture, we um very literally everything. I can't think of many 
um, particular instances where you hear about it from a female perspective. Mm. I can't really think of any other than maybe Top Boy, where there's some female men, right. but they're not main characters. Maybe right. Jack actually, but you know what I'm saying is is always the male perspective. Uh, and then you being you, being a deep thinker from young and being involved in all that. I know you said it's intentional that you was there, maybe because certain situations sort of lent itself to that. But yeah. um, it'd be interesting to understand a couple of things though. One, what the mindset was, because I, um, I'm wondering whether you, although there was an element of maybe you felt like you had didn't have much options or choice, was what was the mindset? Was the mindset always like, um, I'm gonna get out at some point, or I'm doing this as a means to an end, or was it, that you couldn't see beyond your circumstances at a particular point, and that was you're just there. That's just the life you're living. Yeah. Um, yeah. Be interesting to understand that, and also what the realities were as well. Um, as a female gang member, do you feel like it was different to some of the other male guys, or was it just exactly you're there with them doing the exact same stuff? Um. Yeah, the mentality was definitely. I couldn't see parts like I. Have you ever heard of Twenty Seven Club? No. Okay, so there's a thing in like mainly in Hollywood, where certain artists don't live past 27, right? And I used to joke about it with my friends, like, we're definitely in the 27 club, like, we're not going to make it past 27. And I genuinely believed it. Like, I didn't see that I would ever have a life outside of that street culture. So I used to rap as well. And when I first started rapping, well, when I first started emceeing at the beginning of, like, it wasn't even grime. It didn't even have a name. We was just speeding up hip hop yeah. on, the, on, the deck, <laughs> on the deck. So like um, using the B-sides of garage tunes to spit on, like there was no such thing called grime at the time. Um, but when I f first started as a grime MC, it was much, you know, about gang culture, about violence, about how we chose to make money and things like that. And then very quickly I became more of a conscious and constructive MC and it sort of shifted people's perce perception of me because I was known for having heart so I wasn't treated like a girl ever like no one ever smacked my bum no one ever moved to me like I didn't get chirps none of that first of all you couldn't even tell I was a girl because I'd be like hoodied and ballied so because my eyes were a little bit prettier <laughs> than the rest of the man I'm like yeah. that's a flex yeah. like that's a beans <laughs> like that it I did not move as if I was a girl for many many years so it wasn't much different than the boys but it was only when I started spitting and the type of things I was saying that's when I it, the the perception kind of changed and it was like okay she's She's got some wisdom. She's onto something different. And I think I was kind of pushed as well, like to go far, like you're going to get us out the hood. Like you can, <laughs> you can do this, like do it. Yeah. Um, and then um, I didn't really have much time. So I think I started rapping when I was about 13, but the street culture and street life and stuff, I was jumping in that windows from when I was about eight or nine. So, I really don't know that there was any conscious um, periods of, do you know what I mean? It's like it all flowed from one thing into the next and it was just pure survival. It was just survival. Like I remember one time, there are a few definitive things, but it was like a madness every day. So we don't know one madness from the other. I can't tell you what order they happened in. Do you know what I mean? Like if it's not 
guns going off in the middle of the road is oh blah blah is dead did you know like as if it was you know mm. what i mean so um there was one definitive time where my brother came home he came in and he was like look 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 and all his jacket was sliced to pieces and i was like are you all right and i don't know how old i was and he was like yeah yeah, yeah i'm cool i'm cool but I think that's when it was so close to home. I thought, oh my God, this is nuts. Mm. We can't continue to do this. So I started taking my music a bit more serious. And that was the only time I came this side of the water because this is where it was happening for Graham. Like if you wanted to be an MC, you had to come to the East. And so I used to come studio and, you know, work with different producers. And I really started trying to take my music more seriously because it was coming too close. And, and I think I even knew then I've always had like a, I've always been good at business as well. Like whether I was doing like companies, house business or other business, I've always been good at business. So even then I could see the business potential of making music, um, even making like commercial music that can do something and then say what you really want to say or, um, yeah, people just be like, I'm not spitting that bubblegum shit, you know what I mean? Like, we're not, do <laughs> we're not doing yeah. that. Like, is it? All right, good for you. But I know I need to get me and my siblings out. So I'll say whatever we got to do. Mm. Like, and it wasn't as hyper-sexualized then either. Like, you were allowed to say constructive things and it do something. So, um, yeah, like, when I say intentional as well, I mean, like, I knew what I was doing everything for. Like if we were riding out, am I coming or not? It depends on how it's going to affect me. Like everything was very self-centered for me and my siblings because I knew how much of my brother's problems became my problems. I didn't want my problems to become my little brother's problems. So it was like very, very self-aware and very aware. And I think yeah. I still have that awareness now, but I had to, it's a transferable skill. You use it in a different way yeah. as you get older. It's interesting to hear about the music. I don't want to jump jump forward too much here. Yeah. But then your I don't know if it's your first social venture, the the youth. Yeah. The, yeah. Because it's sort of like you took that that kind of East London Graham Lord of the Mighty type culture. Exactly. And then took it to South. Yeah. But anyway, we're gonna get there. I don't wanna, <laughs> I don't wanna jump too much. But because I'm I'm a Graham head, I grew up on Graham like proper. <laughs> proper. Okay. Loved it, man, growing up. So I was watching all Lord of the Mites. Every clash growing, I was, I was on it, man. Um and it's interesting to hear, get that context as well, because it makes it a bit more it, it sort of uh, makes the the road or the path you took a bit yeah. more clear in my head. Yeah. Um we take Still on this particular period of time for you, you said that, thank God you became a teenage mother. Yeah. Why do you say that? <laughs> I, I got pregnant at a time where I could say maybe some of my, um, like some of my chickens were coming home to roost. Do you know what I mean? Like some uh, of the stuff that I'd done before was catching up uh, yeah. on me. And it was just at the point where I fell pregnant where like people, I was bumping into people in the street and they was like, it's you. But now I obviously, I'm not ballied up. I'm not yeah, <laughs> hoodied yeah, up. Yeah, yeah. I got a belly mm. and, a, and, a, and, a, and a duffel jacket. And I'm like, Grah. I, I, I remember one time um, I bumped into some people who were looking for me for a long time. And I, and I heard as well, oh, they're looking for you. They're looking for you. I was like, oh, they're gonna have to find me. Well, they found me and I was like eight months pregnant. Right. And I remember I was in Croydon 
And it was like, <laughs> oh my God. I was like, look, I had to open my jacket. I was like, look, you're fighting me over some old beef. I'm fighting for my life and my child. Like one of us is going to come out very different. It's not going to be me. So like consider what we're doing here that like, this is a sit i was terrified like i was doing the big talk but i was mm. actually like so scared because finally i had something more than me to fight for so before i was just reckless but at this point i was like it's so important that i win whatever's about to pop off i have to come out on top and they was like ah oh. and luckily there was some conscience happening this oh you're lucky you're lucky you're lucky i thought oh my god <laughs> oh my goodness and yeah that just shifted everything and that's when i started my social enterprise because there's too much of that like and we're we were beefing people we don't even know why the beef started we probably weren't even born when the beef started because it's my older uncles and older cousins and it just trickles down you don't like you and you don't you don't even know why you mm. don't even know what it's about it's nonsense do you still find that you have to look over your shoulder in certain areas now? No, I never. Yeah, things are different now. Even if I do, I don't know about it. Yeah. Because God yeah. will catch you first. Yeah. Like, <laughs> it doesn't come to my awareness. Yeah. Yeah. And there's people actually that I did be back in the day that I've seen them now. I'm like, oh, you're good. Everyone good. I guess people. How's your family? We grow up. Move on a bit. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. All right, that's cool. All right, let's, let's um, take it forward a bit, a little bit now. So you've um, had your first child. And then at what stage, how does that blend in with you starting up your first social enterprise? Like what was, the, yeah, what's the timeline there? Yeah, so she's the reason. So I got pregnant at 16. Well, I got pregnant at 15. I had my daughter at 16. And um, I had like survivor guilt. By this time, I'd lost about four or five of my friends, um, friends and acquaintances. And I kind of felt like, my having a child meant that I could like get a council property and I could apply for college and because they had a scheme called care to learn at the time where you can it pays for your childcare so that you can go and get an education so I went to train as a teaching assistant because my thing was if you're going to school I'm coming with you <laughs> so I was still a bit, <laughs> a bit protective mm. so I trained to be a teaching assistant um but well it was child education something then I wasn't even able to do the teaching assistant training but I kind of still had a bit of survivor guilt. It was like, I need to be able to go back and give something, anything. Um, so that's when I started public speaking. That's how it started. So, well, actually, two things happened at the same time. I got kicked out of school in year 11. Coming towards the end of year 11, I ended up in a physical altercation with a teacher and I got expelled from school. Um, and so I didn't have no GCSEs or nothing. I ended up in a PRU, a pupil referral unit, and I got pregnant whilst I was in a PRU. And I met so many young people in that, in that place. And it's like, I felt for them because we cut like, there's not much that separates us. Do you know what I mean? Like the only difference between myself and them was that by then I had kind of learned to articulate myself a bit better. I could speak well, I could write well, well, quote unquote, well. And um, I'd kind of learned to control my temper a little bit more. So before I was reckless, the first thing I'd do was fight. I liked fighting. I was good at it. 
So it's the first thing that I turn to. I know I can use it to defend me. I had a big brother. My big brother used to brack me up until he didn't brack me up. Mm -hmm. So that's how I learned to fight. Um, by the time I got to a PRU, I was more observant. I was more quiet. But I could see like it's flipping over the tables and like, getting really angry at teachers and stuff. And I could see their frustration. I could see where it, where it was coming from. And just really respect, learn to respect people's humanity because you don't know what they go home to. 100%. I know what I was going home to, so I, I don't know what you're going to home to, but we're from the same ilk, you know what I mean? So once I had my child, it was kind of like, I knew she was never going to live a life, anything like what my life was like, but we can't just like dogs. Sometimes people think that it's a good thing to, and, and, and don't get me wrong, it is a good thing to like do better and leave and go and put your child in a private school and like live a good, great life outside of the inner urban city. But at the same time, if you know better and you do better, shouldn't you share that knowledge and that experience a little bit in some way? I'm not saying you have to be a savior because even that don't work. We've done that as well, <laughs> but give something, even if it's just your word. So I lent more into public speaking. I went to different PRUs um homeless uh charities just different places where i can talk to other young people and say look this is my reality i had my baby in my hand like this is my reality where you are now doesn't have to dictate your future i'm a single mom you know i come from where you come from believe it or not and that is what grew into my youth development project um that was a fight uh, when i was reading about it it sounds like it was it sounded like you really went through it to, to get that started i really did and it wasn't as easy then like social enterprise had just come around at that time as well so before that you had to raise five thousand five thousand pounds and register as a charity i weren't raising five thousand pounds at 16. Um, and back in the day, £5,000 is not today's £5,000. Mm. Yeah, it's not a pair of shoes. It was a lot of money. <laughs> yeah. Um, so this non-profit way, non-profit way of doing things was kind of, it was exclusive to like Bernardo's and YMCA and stuff. You didn't really have the everyday person trying to do. There were grassroots organisations, don't get me wrong, but they were a lot bigger, you know, adults, first of all. Um, mm. So no one really took me seriously. Everyone I went to, whether it was non-profit or local government, no one really took me seriously. Um, but I had a good thing. I had a good idea. I knew how to write and I knew how freeing it was for me to be able to take all that anger from the road and translate it on the mic. And I felt like it saved me as well as my child so i need to be able to give that to other people so i created a project i actually went on a little business course there was like a 13-week business course from a in an adult learning center that i lied about my age to get onto as well because you, <laughs> you had to be a certain age sometimes you gotta do what you gotta do yeah because <laughs> I, I didn't have a national insurance number yet um for whatever reason and they didn't check you just said yeah I'm sorry. yeah i just lied and just filled out the form and i've yeah. done a 13 week course and i learned everything that there was to know like how to set up a business and taxation and this sort of thing even going for sponsors and funding all sorts of things i was like yes i'm in um and then i made my business plan my proposal thing and i just kept going back like i just kept going back kept improving it kept going back and then I think my first event, I, I done what I had to do and I hired a hall myself. I put on a youth event and then it got noticed by the mayor 
it was the local mayor at the time of of the bar of Croydon, and she was like, "I think you've got something good." So you went to a youth event. So like, was it a music event? It was a mix. So it was. I basically got local businesses to sponsor this event that I was kind of winging it because I didn't know what I was doing. I was like, we're going to have a youth event. Can you sponsor my event? So I got different um, local businesses to sponsor this youth event. So we had performers and um, different pop-ups of like small businesses and things like that. We had a mural wall. It was literally just a roll of wallpaper that I got from B&Q. It was like, graph on this, <laughs> and graph on the wall. And like, people really appreciated it. Like the, the, the youths really appreciated it. Like they were allowed in, first of all, we're allowed in this building <laughs> and they was allowed to make it their own. And so I thought, I'm going to do this. This is a thing. So I took all the pictures, made it into, got on word, uh, word art, yeah. <laughs> and I made a little proposal thing. When I look back on it now, it's laughable, but it was, I done it and I took it and I was like, I want to continue to do this, whatever this is. That's what you took to the mayor. That's what I took to the mayor. She was like, okay, I believe that you've got something, but you need to create a project. Like this is one event. We need a project. So it was a project. So now I've got to figure out what is a project. So the first project I created was called Rap Academy. That's the one that you probably saw. Yeah, that's the one I saw. Um, so Rap Academy took me about, I don't even know, I don't even have a concept of time. Maybe about nine months to prove was a viable thing. Um, that there was a youth club already in Thornton Heath that was uh, building a studio inside of it. Yeah, PJ's Community Centre, I remember. And I went there and I said, I've got an idea, da, 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 da. But you've got a studio, you've got a hall, you've got everything and your adults. You might be able to help me to to, to do this. They were like, yeah, 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 we can help you. Um, do you want to work here as a volunteer as well? Like for our youth club days, I was like, all right, cool. So I worked there for a volunteer, as a volunteer for a little while. Heavenly was with my nan, my, my big daughter was with, with my nan. And then it slowly started to roll out organically. So I can't remember what happened first, but we were already doing some form of rap academy in there. And even then it didn't have a name. So I was like, they were teaching me how to create a project and stuff, but it didn't really have a name. It was like, well, I can MC, I can write, I can kind of mix on the decks. Um, so what can we do with that? And it was like, we'll see how the young people take to it. If it works, then we'll go with it. Well, then at this time, there was another project which was happening in another youth club just up the road. And they were it was not done by us. <laughs> so <laughs> <laughs> <All right. laughs> but they had the facilities as well. So then when I took it back to the mail, I was like, I can see that you're trying to do this already because it was local government that was doing it. I've got a better one. Like we've been doing it here. Can we roll it out across the youth clubs? Lo and behold, it rolled out across the youth clubs. A very ambitious MC called Stormzy was there. He wasn't Stormzy then. I know him as Amari and his friends. And they really took to it. Like they were good. They were already rapping. Like it was just an opportunity for them to, I didn't have to teach them nothing because it was supposed to be, I teach you how to create, you know, eight bars or 16 bars. And then we go back to back and I didn't have to teach anyone anything. So it was just enjoyable to witness. So it, 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 it ended up in about three or four different youth clubs. And then the funding got pulled. All right. The funding for it got pulled, but the funding wasn't coming to me in the first place. It was going to the youth clubs to make sure that the program could run. So then I thought, how do I? get the funding and this is when i officially registered as a social enterprise by now i'm pushing 17 i think 
and I took another one of my um, word art clip art proposals to the London Development Agency. <laughs> I came to London Bridge in my oversized suit. <laughs> <laughs> my baggy suit and I was like yes I run youth projects and da 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 I knew the language I'd been around it enough now and I think they were just fascinated that I even tried like yes. they was like you <laughs> are brazen so they was like okay we're gonna we're gonna give you 900 pounds to put on a project that was big money you know I was mm. like 900 pounds right. yeah. I didn't have a bank account yeah I didn't have a bank account so I went to someone who I had met through my Croydon youth projects and was like you lot have got a bank account I've got a, an offer can we work together and they was like yeah but we're going to take a percentage of it mm -hmm. but absolutely nothing you know but using right. the bank account now that I think about it anyway yeah. um and then I put on another project for the LDA which was amazing again I was just able to duplicate what I'd already done but like on a bigger scale. And so this is what I continued to do through and because I already had an awareness of the so there was a thing called a district center management, right? Which was basically Crystal Palace district center management. I already knew that there were five surrounding boroughs because I'm from down the road. Mm -hmm. So I knew that if I go to these five surrounding boroughs, I can tell them all that I'm local. I'm from the local area and I run youth mm. projects. I'm from the local area and I run you over and over again. So all of them just kept getting funded to do the same event over and over again. And so that's how I happened into this youth work thing but then um you know a multitude of things was happening at the same time this is the beginning of gentrification mm. so now we're in 2008 2007 2008 and what my youth consultations were actually doing was supporting the gentrification of local areas by making young people agree that they want development in their area. So luckily I'm well read. Um, I, I realized what was happening here. They're using the statistics and the feedback of what we're collating in these events to say young people want us to develop their area. Young people want us to knock down this building or build this tram track or do, like it mm -hmm. was supporting that. So I was like, yeah, this ain't what I was even doing in the mm -hmm. first place. So I kind of pivoted away from that into, into other things. But wow. yes, yeah, always been there, but always had, um, and I still have a deep passion for supporting grassroots organizations and people who are on the ground helping people like genuinely helping people yeah yeah uh, that's really good um to paint to paint that picture actually and tell that story like with everything that you've had to that it seems like that was over a period of time it took you approximately nine months to get the first thing started properly yeah. and throughout all of that there's been a lot of kind of funding pulled here and then you've had to go here and then hustle here there yeah. left yeah. right center just to raise to keep it going for a period of time. Uh, and I think with the average person that would go, would face that kind of a setback, they're going to be like, it is what it is, I tried yeah. and move on. Uh, especially at such a young age, is interesting to hear about that kind of tenacity. Uh, for myself, because I feel there's a period of time, oh, period of time in my life here where I was definitely like, I'm going to do it and no nothing ain't going to stop me. Mm -hmm. I'm going to, I'm going to, Someone's, I'm going to face this setback here, that setback there is cool. I'm mm -hmm. going to keep going no matter what. And 
over time when I've got older and upon, upon reflection, I can see where that's come from. Mm-hmm. And then there's a couple definitive moments as well where that's really pushed me and pushed my mindset into that kind of mode. Um, and it's interesting to, if, do you know where, I know you said maybe your mom, she was kind of entrepreneurial doing her thing, but do you know where that kind of, that kind of doggedness that I'm going to make it happen no matter what come from? Was it the birth of your daughter or was it the upbringing or, or a book the, you read or something? Or? the multitude of things. It's, it's ancestral. Like, I think it's just deep within me. Like, I know, like, my, my grandmother's very resilient. Like, I come from resilient stock of people like even my nan coming here my nan came to england when she was 16 to make a better life for herself from jamaica my great-grandmother moved from one part of jamaica to kingston city to build a business as a seamstress because her husband died in a in a really nasty way in a freak accident my granddad died great-granddad so that's we don't know no different like that's just what you do you you keep it pushing and you make it happen for your children and that's what's been done for me and so that's what's inevitable within me to do for mine at the start when i was talking about when i read looking into your background i see you've gone through some particular a few major downs well not major downs major turning points i should say Mm -hmm. so uh the gang life and having your daughter for sure particularly when you're like 16 17 years old Mm -hmm. you take it forward a bit I was trying to do the maths, maths might be off, but he was probably like mid twenties, 25 or 26. And it seemed like he'd gone through some, some more stuff, quite a few things in that period of time. Uh, uh, marriage not happening at the altar. Or something. 21. Yeah. Oh, he was 21. And then oh, there's a few, there's a few things that, um, it, it seems like you, you'd gone through a bit of a mad period of time until you got to your mid, mid twenties. And then from there, of course, you embarked upon the green projects and all that kind of stuff but yeah, yeah. you've gone through a few things uh, was there any key particular moments maybe from your teen years up until your mid-20s before you started your next major project that you feel shaped the person you are now or helped put you on the path you're on now um all of it I, I, do you want to be specific like about the because there's so many uh, which one do you feel like had the some and there's quite a few isn't it but maybe if you could pick maybe one to uh, focus on now that had a profound impact on the person you are today oh let's do this maybe paint a picture mm. a bigger picture i guess people i don't know and then from there just take out one that you feel like had a really profound impact on who you are today i'd say being homeless like I became homeless with my two daughters. So I had my second daughter at 21. Um, I was in, I don't know if I like to call it abusive. I was in a difficult relationship with her father. Um, and that's, you know, we was due to get married. I got jilted. Um, then we had a massive altercation after that and I became homeless because I had to leave my home with my children. Um and that period of time I lived in a in a like a refuge. I don't know how long I was there. Mm, don't know how long I was there. I was homeless for about a year, just under a year. And I could actually feel myself losing sanity like i remember headbutting the walls and there was something that happened when i was in this refuge 
I so in order to go to the toilet, you had to go on like a bit of an escapade, and I didn't want to leave my girls in the room to then go to the bathroom. One time, I took my children with me to go to the toilet. Like literally, had them in there, one on the on the phone or whatever, playing face that way, using the bathroom with them. And when we went back, the one of the caretaker men was leaving my room, like with a key, leaving my room with the key, and I thought, oh hell no. Because you must have thought that I went to the, use the bathroom and left my girls in there. Mm. So you've gone in there expecting to see them, but I took them with me. So after that, I couldn't sleep. And this is what, and I developed insomnia from being in there as well, actually, um, which I've only just recently in like the last this year um, overcome. Um, and it, it definitely shifted something in me. I spent a lot of time in prayer, in meditation. Like I was really finding myself. I locked my hair, my whole lifestyle changed. I took meat and dairy and stuff out of my diet. I really needed to feel a sense of purity and grounding in that space or I was going to lose it. But it was either going to go one way or the other. And I remember thinking like, this is all for the plot all of a sudden it just felt it felt good and it was like this is all for the plot i needed this bit of the story to be able to say so so it could be quantifiable so it could be measured against this because this is the pit it can only go up from here and i didn't have much contact with any family or any friends we just all kind of splintered off already from that previous relationship because that's what tends to happen um you isolate yourself and you know, you start to lose your friends and family and stuff. And I thought, well, this is this is the bottom. So what does up look like? And it kind of brought me into a new way of viewing what life can be. And it, it opened me up to what life can be for them as well. Like, how do I... So if they're not going to have the life you've lived, which is what I've always said, that's always been a matchup, what life are they going to have? So it was, it became like a pivotal moment of me where I stopped running away from my problems or being pushed by what I don't want to me pulling myself towards what I do want. And that's the first time I started creating a vision. Because even then, going back to what I was saying before about living past 27, even at that point, having two kids, I still didn't see a long life ahead of me it hadn't it still hadn't become a thing yet that oh they're going to want me to be old and they're going to want me to be someone's nan maybe or still didn't have any of that as a vision it was living day to day or still completely in survival mode and i think from being in that um that refuge and i i lived in a refuge before with my mum we'd been through the same thing with my brother's dad was very violent we lived in a refuge um for some time when we was younger as well and i could just see this cycle repeating itself and i thought absolutely not we're not doing this like there's no way we're doing this we're not doing this and so from then i think i really deepened the relationship with god at that point and really wanted to understand even that like everything that was given to me before that got picked apart like mm. god but what's that like how, what actually is god and how do i relate to god and how do i understand my existence to be and then from that i feel like things started happening really quickly like i met 
my new partner, who's now my husband, at that time, uh, I was going to his classes. He used to teach African philosophy, spirituality. He's a mystical Christian. So it helped me to, whilst I was already unpicking what I thought I knew to be true, there he was with so many answers and he is literally like a spiritual encyclopedia as well so i'm like so if this <laughs> he's got it like, he knows and so um and then i moved and then we got our house together and everything just started moving quicker when i took control because i think when you come from survival you don't really realize how much control you have like you don't realize how much power you have because you've been disempowered by your environment or by your circumstances or by what you see if you can't see anymore then that's all you think you could have right so once i started to sort of reclaim my power in in that moment i could see that it benefited my girls and they i could see the inquisitiveness in them like how i was and they're like they're very much a mirror to me they're very different from each other, but they're different parts of me. So they helped me to remember who mm. I am, you know, separate from the road name and the this and the all the things I had to be to other people. At that moment when I was in the pit, I had to remember who I can be for myself. And they're very much a mirror to me for that and still are. Um, but yeah, so I started to reclaim my power at that point. And then that's when everything shifted for good. That's powerful. As you're talking, I bet my wife is nodding along behind the scenes because <laughs> it reminds me of, um, and this isn't about me and my story, but it reminds me of a situation I went through in my own life a few years ago, 2017, <laughs> mm -hmm. where I went through some madness or some mad shit, man. And then I'm trying to do the soul searching as well. Mm -hmm. And then I've grown it and I've got locks as well. And I'm really unpicking apart everything I know, like God, what type of God, like yeah, really unpicking yeah. and going, back 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 and trying to really find myself and find out what do i really truly believe and i felt like i come to a place that i was a lot more i was happy content mm. i feel like i found myself mm -hmm. um and things started to happen just, just like you think just started to accelerate and um that was a few years ago but it when you're talking it's like it's sort of taking me back there someone else so i'm like that's powerful um yeah. Yeah, no, thank you for sharing that, sick. Uh, and I suppose that particular situation led naturally led you to doing your next, I guess it was your next major venture, which mm -hmm. was like the Whole Foods and the, the, the room, room Network. The Room Network. Yeah. Um, talk to us about that and how that came about. Yeah, how that came about, actually. Yeah, so the Womb Network, when was the Womb Network born? In 2014. And yeah, it did. It definitely... I knew that womb actually stands for where our minds begin. Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. Wow. And I started the womb network because originally for mums, uh, because our, our minds begin with our mother, first of all, because like epigenetically we inherit everything of our mother. Right. And we like, we exist even inside of our grandmothers. Cause you know that your mum has all of the eggs that she's ever going to carry inside of her when she's born so that means we must have so our minds begin inside of our mothers and then there's the the mother that is the mother earth which is where our minds begin because that's all we have to, that we know of do you know what i mean we haven't visited any other planets so that's all we have and then there's the collective mind which is like the universal mind so 
it really had multiple meanings. And I found that you have to kind of give people what they want until they learn to want what you actually came to give, right? So I couldn't just come out with all of this metaphysical unfolding (laughs) (laughs) because, you know, it can just go over people's heads or it can seem a bit whatever it may seem, right? Depending on where you're you're coming from. But I knew that there was food of thought that I could give you. So naturally, um, I gravitated towards women and mothers and they all was going through their own type of stuff. And they, I had been through so many different things that it was easy for me to relate to more or less anything you can tell me. I've probably seen something of some sort. Unless you came from a war zone, then I can only like, sympathize right um well i come from some kind of war zone but just a different type of war um but then it just became all the women like everyone whether you're a mother or not or you know you don't want to have children or you can't have children or whatever it may be it just started to become all the women was gravitating towards me and it was usually women who are in leadership or have some kind of heart-led business or they really want to do more or give more which our, our slogan was actually to do well, do good and be well, or some version of that. And it was, it, it grew by itself. But then um, we opened a Whole Foods cafe um, because it's easier to feed someone's mind if you feed their belly, right? So if we opened our, our Whole Foods cafe was an internet cafe as well. So we had like homework help club in there for young people to come and do their homework after school. We was helping the like the elders or people with English as a second language to do their bills or to do their um, citizenship tests and things like that. Like just a real community hub in the guise of a shop. <laughs> right. Mm. Um, it didn't we didn't intend for it to be a community hub, but we kind of did. Right. So this is where people came and felt safe from like lawyers to breathe out and say swear words in the corner on the phone to builders <laughs> to come and get multiple cup of teas, even though there's much more fancier cats around. You know what I mean? Like it was just the spot that everyone wanted to be in and felt like they could let their belly out in. But it's a whole food shop. So whilst all these different types of people are coming in, they're like, What's oat milk? Because this is like, this is, <laughs> like, yeah. do you know what I mean? What's quinoa? Mm-hmm. So you're exposing people to things that they might not, which is healthier for you, which is better for you, which is alternative, which is different. And then we're having these conversations in the room as well, where we would have, and it's literally all in one room. There's no back room. There's no other space. So I'm having mother's meetings over here. Men are like, here we get in. <laughs> and then, you know, there's people of a different, kind of class coming in like wanting lattes and whatnot and then they're overhearing things and seeing things and everyone's just being exposed to things that they're not weren't quite used to before um because that's how that's how it should be that's how myself and my husband are that's how we live like love is our anchor that's our motto and so if we can't go into all of these spaces we're going to create a space that everyone can come into and so that's what the well-being cafe was and the womb network was an emanation of that as well but i had to shut down my women's network um just before covid and then that's what led on on to the next thing um, with the the, the women network mm-hmm. um what's coming to mind is that there's a lot of people who 
uh, might be listening who are interested in doing these more social-led enterprises that there may not necessarily be a clear route to them making or maybe in their minds some clear route to them making a living out of it yeah uh, with you with that with some of the things you worked on in the past how have you overcome that because obviously you need money to live as well at the same time yeah. and then you've got a strong social purpose and that's what your heart's for but at the same time you've got children you've got family you've got bills you need to pay yeah how is there a certain way you used to set up these social enterprises in order to get generate some kind of income or was you doing working at the same time somewhere else or how was you managing Both. that side of things so yeah i had a job at the same time sometimes um, but my job, I always like, you know, everything starts to sound what, what, what I need to leave. Like I always have to go back to my, to my purpose. But I think the greatest thing I ever learned, um, with whether you got a social business or not is to pay yourself first, pay yourself first. I had many a beans on toast moments throughout my entrepreneurial journey. Um, and if you're in a social enterprise, I think, or, or a CIC or a charitable business, people tend to think that you can't pay yourself. Um, and you absolutely can and you must pay yourself first because it can't exist without you. So you have to be sustained by it and you have to make sure that you have ways of making revenue according to your business structure that can pay you at the bare minimum. And then I also find that heart-led people give, 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 give uh, to the empty, dry, drained and dead and no one cares. They'll step over you and keep it pushing after, they, <laughs> after they've taken. So you have to make sure that you are the ultimate priority first and that you give from your overflow. So whether that looks like making sure that all of your, you have to make sure that you've done your um, personal survival budget and then whatever you can do. Like if there's like, a, I think most nonprofits have like a assets lock or a caps lock where it's 70% goes back into the business, 30%. Okay, how much of the 30% is yours? Because most of it needs to be. So I think it's about making sure that you're approaching your nonprofit like a business. It's still a business. Um, and you wouldn't work, you wouldn't, unless you're a volunteer, which still some of your things are met, you still have to look after yourself. So that has to be your first priority. So check however, whatever you register does, check how do you pay yourself and make that the priority. And then you tran uh, tran transferred, trans transitioned that's the word transitioned into tech from there was yeah. that your first foray into tech yeah i had no no idea about tech. <laughs> yeah. like how did, uh, did you just read some books or something or how did you how did you learn so the womb network i used to i used to run courses right like in-person courses where we'd like meet over zoom and it was be hosted in a facebook group and i'd have like different programs or i'd have some kind of planners or workbooks and things like that that you could you could purchase i have a couple of published planners as well so that was my thing was to create um planners online courses run programs workshops coaching one-to-one -one. that was my stuff but during lockdown obviously we couldn't go outside we couldn't do anything i thought this is the perfect opportunity to build an app right i didn't know anything about apps I just knew I had a lot of apps on my phone, so why can't mine be one of them? Mm. Um, and so I sought out some developers to build an app um, to put all of those courses on and those planners on. Well, I ended up getting scammed. The people who were building the app had no means or measure to build an app. And I was contacted by the people that they were working with, who they basically owed an excess of like $150,000 to for 
the services that they had taken from them. So they were basic, they basically told me they're offering you something that they can't provide. They're selling you systems, but actually it's our systems. They don't owe them and they can't develop them into what you want them to be. So we're suing them. Feel free to sue them. Like maybe you and the other people can create some kind of class action lawsuit. Um, they put us all in a Facebook group together. There was over 500 people wow. and the majority of them were women. Um, I'm kind of known as well as like Shanuma due diligence cash drive. Everyone says like Shanuma does her research. She gone research. Um, well, in this case, I kind of did, but I didn't to the depth that I, because I didn't think I would need to go that far. Right at this point, I know where these people live and their parents, but like at that point, I didn't, I didn't know that I needed to know more. Right. So I didn't do my due diligence in a way that I probably should have having handed over that much money. So always do your research people. Um, but um so i fight them anyway because luckily i paid through the uh, uh, certain banks um and so i got my money back through the bank there were people that paid with paypal and things like that or just done a backs transfer of their money and weren't able to get their money back so um i was able to get some of my money back and they these people were like they'd already like been what are they called? It was like restricted by the FDA or F. I can't remember what's um, called. Like FCA. Financial. Yeah, the FCA. They'd already been restricted. They were not allowed to run another business. They were not allowed to sell any products and services online. Mm -hmm. They already were fined. They'd been in trouble a lot in the US. Mm. So the guy who was at the actual scammer got a friend or whoever to register another company here in the UK. And that's what they were trading under, which is why I missed it. Um, and so, yeah, most people didn't get their money back and didn't get their, their things back. Well, I partnered with the developers who contacted me and I said, well, this is what I was trying to do. Um, can you help me? And they were like, we can't help you with that, but cause we build SaaS platforms. And I was like, okay, what's that? I didn't even know what it was and it was like well we can have this or we can have that and I thought I just want a way that people can't get scammed so if we can help people to get their businesses online um in a way that it's simple they can manage it themselves they can do it themselves how can we do that and it was like yeah you want a website builder I thought, oh yeah of course like brilliant let's do that then so I, I had no knowledge at all I bought a, a girls who code course for like 50 pound and learned how to code at the bare minimum and um, then, you know, like when you try to learn numbers, just so you know, your accountant can't rob you. Yeah. It was like to that extent of <laughs> learning coding so that I know that these developers are building what I asked them to. And so that's how we built the Prosper platform. So it's no code, it's drag and drop. Um, it does everything as well to like manage your systems online. So yeah, that that's what it was born out of. So it wasn't intentional yeah. at all. And then just for context, if you're listening and you don't necessarily know what the Prosper platform is, it's just yeah. a no-code website builder, yeah. essentially. Yeah, basically. exactly. That's what it is. Um, with, what's the goal with the Prosper platform? So the goal is for everyone to come for the platform, stay for the prosperity. So we want to be able to, at the moment, it is a home for most people thing. So they either had like, their emails over here and their courses over here and their website over there and their management system. It's just to make sure that everything is all manageable in one space. The platform does it all in one space, but also I want to move towards, um, access to funding, access to funding, investments, that sort of thing. So I 
we're creating a strategic partnership with another company so that we can work together to give people who are on the prosper platform access to finance because i think a lot of the time we get maybe startups or smes on there but they're not able to scale they kind of seem to be reaching a five six figure plateau and then they're not able to scale to either scale and sell and exit or scale and grow like an empire so most of the companies that are on the prosper platform are kind of in and around the same age or growth stage as the prosper platform that's wonderful because if i'm going you're coming i want everyone to win so um i feel like funding or and finance is the the natural progression for prosper has there ever been a point in your entrepreneurial journey where things have just been so tough and you feel like i'm literally just about to pack it all in and just give up many times yeah, many times, even with the shop, when we had the Whole Food um, Cafe, we bought the lease, right? And then one day, some guy comes in, suited and booted into the shop and asks, who are you? We'd had the shop for however long, and this guy walks in and says, who are you? We're like, oh no, we're the leaseholders, we bought it off of this person, da da da. They said, that they didn't, ha they couldn't sell it to you because they didn't have it to sell like this is my building like freehold leasehold i own this whole thing and he shouldn't have sold the lease to you so we got robbed by that guy too so this being scammed thing is like i don't know it's very scary it's very exhausting but um so that was one of them with the shop luckily that was a nice guy he we we worked it out and um managed to figure it out but we lost a lot of money and then getting scammed with the prosper platform as well was another point where do you know what? I missed a big bit. The Black Baby Show. In 2013, I founded the first and only exhibition for black children in the UK. Oh, it was beautiful. It was fantastic. People still ask me till now, like, are you bringing back the Black Baby Show? I'm like, <laughs> no, it served. It was so good. But, Bridget. <laughs> so exhausting that it was so exhausting it was such hard work and i think there's something that i i call the pain of the pioneer and it's when you're really early to something like sometimes a little bit too early you have to take the licks mm -hmm. in order for it to be able to survive after you and i think after that there's been loads of black this black that this expo that expo but at the time i feel like it was just a little bit too early so i ended up like my name was dragged through the blogs and the papers and why because it's black babies yeah if this was oh if this was white baby show you lot would uh yeah all of that and um luckily like good black people did come to my aid there were things where i went in the cockpit like my husband's like don't read the comments like don't go on there i was like you know like i have to defend my honor like i'm doing this for my people there were some um black people that were just like forgot that they were black and there were like others who were like happy to say no actually this is great like, like where's the white baby show mother care like everything is the white baby show you lot are good um, do you go to the Asian bridal show and comment these things under it? Like I saw good comments that was like real, that I didn't even think of. I was like, oh yeah, <laughs> you mm. know, don't do that to them. Isn't that interesting? Um, so that was really tiring. And that actually, I did stop. I'd done it for like two years. And then I was like, I'm not doing this again. This is nuts. Um, so there have been a few times where it's like, knock the wind out of me. Mm. Um, but... We, we've had certain similar, a thousand voices. Mm -hmm. I remember when we got shared by one big Insta page, I think forgotten the page, 
Um, I think it was, I might be getting it wrong, my posi- our positive news or yeah. your, your positive, positive news. news. That's yeah. it, yeah. So he was on there. When I went into the comments, there was some similar type of comments, like, <laughs> why isn't there a thousand white voices show or something like that and then whatever. And then I think I applied to one or two and then I thought, nah, I'm wasting my time man, yeah. because this... This social media back and forth. I don't think anyone's ever going to win. I'm, I'm just, I'm just wasting my energy here. Exactly. <laughs> I ever see sometimes from the YouTube comments. Me and my wife is looking at some of them, and you'll see some nonsense comments. Some of them, some I do delete. I don't like deleting stuff, but some are just, especially it's when you got guests coming on, they're mm. coming and talking madness. I'm like, I don't want my guests to see that, but some are just wherever, and I'll just leave them to argue amongst themselves. Yeah. Like, I, I, ain't, I ain't really got energy for that. So like when you, <clears throat> when you're a person, you've got a vision and a goal that you're working towards, especially when it's big and expansive, you're always going to get opposition. Exactly. Always. Like, you, you've got some opposition, but it's what it is. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think there's many people, I don't think there's anyone really, that has achieved a level of success and hasn't had opposition mm-hmm. voices at them. So yeah. I guess it's a skill you just, like your husband said, you just got to learn to... Yeah, just ignore them. Learn to drown out some of the nonsense. Listen to people's opinions who you actually value. Exactly. <laughs> and the rest and of it. who are actually doing something. People are very loud from the seat they're sitting in. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they're the loudest. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. yeah. You, you just listen to who you listen to, man. The rest of them. Leave them to argue amongst themselves. Right. <laughs> That's what I do now, Exactly. Even do that thing. Um, if there's anything, is anything that you know now that you would, if you was to, that you wish that the childhood Shinuma knew, like any particular key lessons or things that you wish you knew when you was a child? Um, uh, it depends on what point of childhood, but I'll definitely say that, that you're fully supported. Like you're fully supported nothing is conspiring against you like everything is working for your good um because i think that helps you to not would have helped me to feel less lonely to feel less isolated like sometimes i felt like isolated within my own brain like within my own mind even if i was communicating with someone even if i was clearly communicating my thoughts or my feelings i had a sense of that i can tell you don't get like you don't understand um and that's another thing is that no one needs to understand you need to understand like as long as you understand yourself um that's the most important thing um yeah i would say those things that journey of coming to understand yourself that's i guess that's something that you've gone through yeah throughout your life is there anything you think particularly that's helped you along the way um yeah just i'm very big on like legacy heritage like i make a conscious effort like i've bought all of the swab tests like i make sure that i take my genetic markers and put them into the things like i want to know like if the norm if the mormons can know then i can know so i'm going to use everything available to me to make sure that i know on a genetic level, on a historical level, on a spiritual level, who I am and how my existence impacts the world that I'm in, right? We're all here, we're all valuable, but I feel like I can be even more valuable if I know where I'm coming from. Because if you know where you're coming from, you know where you're going. Um, So I make, I feel like Africa, my love for Africa, the Caribbean, my love for the Caribbean, South America, because I know who I am, 
I know how far my impact can go because I know how far it has come. So I feel like that level of knowledge of self, like I can name seven great grandparents all the way back to the Gambia, like to the, the Gold Coast of Africa. And I, I know who's inside of me. So I know who I can call on because I know what their jobs were. I know what their excellence was. Like I know who I can bring forth. And I think sometimes people can think that's a bit like spooky. Like I don't worship ancestors. I just acknowledge them. And I think they want to be acknowledged, not acknowledged because our healing, like our healing isn't only for ourselves. I feel like the more that I heal, the more I heal my ancestors. And then I have healed children going forward and we don't have to repeat any of the the, the nonsense cycles you know or any of the the traumas that were given to us what sort of a legacy do you want to leave mm. i want to leave a legacy of uh, I don't even know how to call it, like a legacy of love, like just a legacy of love and freedom, like the freedom to unfold freely. I think we hold so much of ourselves down, we stuff so much of ourselves down. And one thing that I'm constantly trying to do, because I still have to try to, is just to be all of me, like be my whole self. I've been through many different things where I've had to leave some of me at the door and I can't really do that anymore. And I want all of us to be able to not do that anymore. And the more that we do it and I, us, we black people especially, but also everyone, like there's different periods of history that have interrupted lives we were already living. It's not the whole of our lives. It's a part of it that was just a disruption and we keep it pushing. And these things happen on a microcosmic and a macrocosmic level. And we think it becomes all of us. And so we stuff ourselves down and we hide and we live in obscurity and we wish, you know, that, you know, they say like people's dying words is always the things, their regrets are always the things that they didn't do, right? Well, I want to leave a legacy of doing the things that you want to do and be in all of you whilst you do it so whatever that looks like for you as well so yeah perfect and then as we prepare to wrap up mm -hmm. uh, final question for you what advice would you give to somebody else who's trying to drive some change in their life in their community in the world oh um I would say it's the three C's, courage, competence, and confidence. Let courage be the courage to your success. Like you don't have to know it all already. Just be brave and go. Courage begets confidence. Courage begets confidence because you have evidence that you can do it because you've done it already. You've been brave. You stepped out and did it. The more confident you are, the more conf competent you become. Yeah. And your competence should be born from like, actual <laughs> like actual knowing so stay educated like keep learning um keep seeking out new ventures keep broadening your horizons um not not just that arrogant confidence like let it be actual competence based on your ability to do things and you have evidence that you can do it because you've done it you've had the courage to do it so i would say that's what it is 
Cool. That's yeah. that. Thank you for coming down. That oh, was a really thank you so much. Yeah, really enjoyed me. really, really enjoyed this, you know, and hearing your story is so good, man. So thank you for coming down and making that trek. <laughs> Once again, <laughs> I, I appreciate you coming down for real. Uh, and it's a really inspiring story. Like there's so many different bits I took away from that. Um and hearing some of the parallels between some of the stuff you're saying and then seeing some of that in myself is powerful mm -hmm. to hear. And I'm hoping that other people listening to it will feel the same. So Thank you. Oh, thank you so second. much. Uh, before we wrap up, if people want to keep up to date with yourself and the proper platform and things you're doing, how can they best do so? Um, yeah, I'm on LinkedIn and I'm on Instagram, Shanuma Kashtar. I think that's the best ways. And if you want to check out the Prosper platform, it's prosperplatform.io. Cool. I'll put it in the description as well so people can see that. Yeah. And uh, have you got any final words actually before you close off? Um. No, I don't. Just, yeah. I hope that I've been uh, useful to someone. I've hoped that I've shared something that inspires you to be great and be all of you. A million percent. Definitely been useful to me. So I really appreciate you coming down once again. So thank you for coming down, Shanuma. Um, if you haven't subscribed already, please do subscribe and like and share this. It really does help us get these voices out as far and wide as possible. We're on a mission to interview 1,000 inspirational uh, black british change makers so anything you can do to help get these voices out really really does help but that's that for now thank you for coming down once again Shanima. this is 1000 voices and for now people we're out cool thank you so much thank you